Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? United, Blackburn Rovers, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Sheffield Wednesday, The Arsenal, isn't it? Tottenham Hotspur, Preston North End, Charlton Athletic, Crystal Palace, West Ham United. Hmm, reassuring names, aren't they? Oh, results. 4.45, Grandstand, isn't it? Highlights on match of the day. Da 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 da. Isn't it, you know? Fathers and sons on the terraces, cheesy peas at half time, pipe for dad, mum's at home making the tea. Ah, oh, everything's all right with the world, isn't it? Saturday afternoon is football. Hmm? You're listening to Box 39 with Bill Lawrence and Adrian Cohen. This is our football show with special guests Craig Barker and Well, hello, this is Box 39 with me, Bill Lawrence, and I'm joined by Cone Radio's beating heart of football, Craig Barker, for this very special episode where we'll be hitting the back of the net. Yes, we are looking at football with a fond and respectful deep dive into the last 12 months of the wonderful game. This has been an exceptional year for our national game when England, well, they nearly won the competition. And where players held politicians to account. Where clubs, owners and players were bought and sold for simply eye-watering sums of money. And we're still in recovery from the real seismic shock of Covid, of course. Both the men's and women's games have been particularly exciting. They've been surprising, they've been controversial. So join myself and Craig here in Studio One and with Adrian supplying musical analysis from Studio Four and our house band Ausgang Exit playing live. And with you also, our unique community audience around the world making your unique contributions. Let's open Box 39 once more for Back of the Net, our review of the last 12 months of the gorgeous game of football.
Well, well, I won a great deal of money on the Man City Aston Villa game as the Premiership season came to its so called unpredictable climax in May. Lord David Price put me in touch with a Malaysian friend who told me to place an accumulator bet with a bookie in Mumbai on Man City scoring in the 76th, 78th and 81st minute. And that's exactly what happened. Thanks, Lord David. He's a wise one. Indeed, I have taken the £850,000 I won and placed a bet on the World Cup next winter directly with Lord David. His insider tip, my money, we shall see. Dark horse, Qatar, to win the World Cup at home. It's Box 39. Well, yes, this is Box... This, this, excuse me. Box 39, our magazine of music and community and humour. And it's all live coming from Studio One here at Colm Radio Towers. And, of course, it's myself, Bill Lawrence. And I'm here with Craig. Craig Barker. Hello, Craig. Hello, Bill. Lovely to be back. And it's lovely to have you back here again. So thank you for coming in. Now, Craig, of course, is our expert on football. And that's why we've got Back of the Net. Our look at what's been happening in this big world of football over the last 12 months. So let's start looking, Craig, at local football. Mm -hmm. Now, we have both professional and amateur, so let's work our way uh, down the pyramid of football so we can start right in, in what they call Tier 1, the Premier League. We do have some local representation there? We do, yeah. We've, of course, West Ham United and Norwich City. A bit of contrasting uh, seasons for both of those clubs, though. Well, West Ham have done well, haven't they, which is not their normal thing, but they've come seventh, so they've qualified for uh, a rather new competition. It's now the third competition isn't it that's right yeah the UEFA Conference League so the tertiary club football tournament I did a bit of reading into this actually it's quite it's quite interesting so bear with me there's a playoff round which right. consists of two legs in August right you need to win those to enter the group stage okay and then there's three opponents home and away you've got two opponents in September three games in October and then one in November did you get all of that <laughs> yes and then what happens at the end of that then you are into the knockout stages, I believe. Okay. So that's an awful lot of football to play in the open it three months of the season. It is a lot of football, isn't it? But, but it is nice that uh, clubs such as West Ham will be getting some European football. Absolutely. It's a good way of perhaps attracting some higher calibre of player. They've done very well under David Moyes, but I'm sure most of their fans would expect them to, to push for maybe uh, Champions League in the next couple of seasons. And this could maybe help with that if they can attract the right calibre of player. Yeah. Norwich City, however, not... A similar story. Not great. 20th, dead bottom. 22 points from 38 games. Bottom two form all season. Changed the manager. That didn't help. Um, top, clumps, top clubs now linked with a lot of their star players. So I think it's going to be difficult for them. But they'll be taking a lot of money with them. So they'll bounce back up, won't they? They will. I think there's, a, there's an if, issue with the Premier League in, in them as much. They say you just need to spend money to stand still now. Yeah. So they have a good model. 
Um, I'd imagine they'll sell a few players and get some money back. The parachute payments will help, but I think it's difficult to see them doing much more than yo-yoing over the next few seasons. Yeah, and uh, the rumour is that the club owners, uh, the, lo- 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 the lovely saintly Delia and her mm. husband, will be selling up. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see if they get a Bitcoin investor or someone like that, then... <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what will happen? <laughs> okay, coming down, or uh, one more tier, tier two, the championship. Anyone there? We've got Peterborough United, who unfortunately for them also suffered relegation in 22nd place, so not a great season for them. It's a, a Peterborough United, a bit of a ex-Colchester United player. That's indeed true, yeah. They've got, you've got Sammy Schmodic, Frankie Kent, Kwame Poku still, of course, with the Colu connection there. Yeah, but again, a failure. 22 out of 24. Yeah, signing and selling on local non-league talent seems to be a thing of those, though. I mean, they were they did pick up nine points from five games at the end of the season, and they're only four points off safety, so they'll probably feel like it was perhaps a bit little too late for them, but they gave it a good try at the end. And then coming coming uh, down to League One. Well, we've got our local rivals, of course, Ipswich Town. Bit of a slow start for them, wasn't it? Yeah. At the start of the season. I think a lot of fans were, were very frustrated with them. I think the excuse was they had a lot of new players that hadn't gelled. Yeah, they were, they were very big spenders on the new ownership. I think they've got the most expensive squad in League One. And, of yeah. course, a couple of Colby players there as well, Macaulay Bond and Freddie Ladapo, um, who are expected to probably push them for promotion next season, I would expect. And then one of the smaller East Anglian clubs. Got Cambridge as well. Finished 14th. And I'd say for them, that's a solid, if unspectacular season, considering they only recently got promoted. I mean, they're no bigger than Colchester United, are they? Very small club. Yeah, 18 points from safety in the uh, sorry, 18 <laughs> points from the drop zone in the end. Top scorer with 15 goals, Sam Smith, had they signed from Cheltenham. So good bit of business, I think, by them. And, and I think they'll be happy with, with where they finished after the first season up there. So mid table mediocrity for East Anglia in League One. And then down to League Two, the final professional league. Well, our beloved Colchester United, of course. And you could maybe say that. If we had the season went on for another two or three weeks, we may, maybe could have finished mid-table ourselves, 15th in the end. Yeah, we pulled it out of the bag, as they sort of say. Yeah, dreadful start. A lot of lack of cohesion, players looking last. We changed the manager, though, which did seem to do the trick towards yeah. the end of the season. That's uh, quite normal for Colchester, though, isn't it? So. Seems to be. <laughs> but um, 14 goals from Freddie Sears, 16 yeah. points from the last 10 games. That's top half form, so that's certainly yeah. something to yeah. build on next season. Let's hope Freddie. But Freddie's getting on, though. He is getting on a bit. But I hope him and Akinde can maybe strike up a partnership. I think he's got the ability at this level to to go on for another couple of seasons, even if his legs are starting to uh, maybe lose a bit of pace. And anyone else from... Stevenage, of course, 21st, very Mm. close to relegation, poor for most of the season. Seems like good old Steve Evans has come in at the end and kept them up. So looking overall at that list, no great rating successes. No, not at all. I suppose Ipswich Town, with their expenditure, maybe will expect to hit the ground running next season. But apart from that, I don't think you can really see too many uh, outliers from that list. No. Well, maybe West Ham. Perhaps. But again, you know, under David Moyes, they've been a strong side. They've been tough to beat. They play good football. Yeah. So. And they've lost uh, one of their greatest uh, players of the last 20 years. Of course, Noble, who's retired. Mark as Noble captain. retiring. Absolutely. And he's in the league there with past people like Billy Bonds, really. Real servants for the club. Absolutely. There was an argument about whether he should have made the England squad. But uh, he was just certainly a, a hard-working, tenacious midfielder. And yeah. they need someone like him to replace him, even if it's just purely for the, for the mindset, I think, in the dressing room. Well, thank you for that roundup. Now, we asked Henry and Ausgang Exit, who are here, to play their favourite football songs, and this is the first. Uh, it's Big Sue's favourite. Unfortunately, though, of course, Ausgang Exit are contracted with a fee that is paid per minute, and they've exceeded their agreed time last week. Uh, we're incorrectly remunerated, and so what I've done is I've asked them to speed up this song in order to claw back some overpayments. 
Well, actually, it seems a little bit of a mistake there. Um, I've just spoken to uh, Brenda in accounts at Colm Radio, and uh, she says uh, we 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 can actually hear Ausgang exit play the song as nature intended it. So, okay, ready, Henry? Go. Well, I'd had enough of that, actually. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, we can spend that money on something else, Craig. Sounds good. Yeah, Henry doesn't need it. Now, (laughs) let's have a look beneath the Football League. Uh, The semi-professional football, really, uh, I suppose you'd call it, because they do get paid a little bit of an appearance fee. So let's go to the the, the Tier 5, the National League, probably one of the most exciting and interesting leagues in the country. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's an argument for they should be another professional side, seeing as most of the clubs now are professional teams anyway yeah. you've got Dagenham and Redbridge who had a good season finishing 8th signed a, a former ex-Cole U player in Will Wright who's, uh, who's now gone on to sign for Gillingham this season never really gave him much of a chance but he could be a good player um, we've got Southend as well very poor start for them finishing yeah. 13th in the end there was a possibility at one point they were going to fold I they? think that was yeah I mean that's been rumbles for years hasn't it about the old selling the stadium for the old Sainsbury site and a few bits and pieces here and there but I'd imagine their fans will certainly want better and anyone else you've got Kings Lynn Town of course relegated to the National League North 21st disappointing for Lynn 9 points adrift top goal scorer only had 10 goals so no, that's not, not what you good. really need is it no so again we're looking for we've got one team there in the top half really Dagenham and Redbridge yeah, um, yeah and then if we look one more league down in tier 6 the National League South bit of a disastrous season for our three representatives there it was wasn't it really Braintree Town 17th I suppose it gives them something to build on Chelsea Oxford, 19th. They have Simeon Jackson, if you remember him, the former Premier League striker for Norwich, turning out for them now, semi-professional. Goodness me. And then Billericay Town, which is an interesting one because they had a bit of historical spending power a while back, didn't they? They were signing Jamie O'Hara and all these ex-Premier League stars. Yes, they had an owner who uh, just decided he had a lot of money, he wanted a football club, a complete vanity project. At one point, he made himself the manager. That's right. I do remember Uh, that. And then he went off and did the same thing at Romford, I believe. And how did that turn out? About the same way it turned out Billericay <laughs> I have to say the last game of the season I saw Braintree Town at home against Billericay Town and uh, Billericay actually won it wow. uh, it was a terrible game I can imagine two sides low on form low on confidence yeah. not a great watch no but uh, so uh, I suppose if we look overall we haven't done that well in East Anglia so next season we can only do better let's hope so something to build on as they say yeah later we've got a text from Luke Swifty from North Walsham and he says uh, lower league football is full of surprises he saw Coggeshall lose to hashtag United in a six goal thriller wow. just before Christmas um, why is it that non-league football is so important I mean for me it's, it's got to be the grassroots hasn't it pure untainted by capitalism prone to the odd 7-6 home win what more could you ask for yeah and uh, and it's big as well uh, now 1,600 1,600 clubs in more than 100 leagues there's nothing quite like it is there not at all okay let's have Avicii with Wake Me Up Feeling my way through the darkness Guided by a beating heart I can't tell where the journey will end But I know where to start They tell me I'm too young to understand They say I'm caught up in a dream 
Well, life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes. So that's fine by me. So wake me up when it's all over. When I'm wiser and I'm older. All this time I was finding myself in a. Lord David Price has a plan to create a new English football club and take it to the Premiership with 11 well-financed promotions in 11 seasons. Crockleford Heath will start at level 7 in the football pyramid. The Croc, as they will be known, will move grounds on a regular basis, but always within the Ardley Park, Elmstead and Parsons Heath area whilst moving up the league and they will replace players regularly as they get promoted each season. Starting the club is cheap, but it will get progressively more expensive as they move up the pyramid. Lord David Price will personally manage the £600 million needed from investors, although he doesn't plan to invest any of his own money. Box 39? What's in it then? Well, I'm delighted to say that I am in Box 39, Bill Lawrence, and I'm also here with Craig Barker and Adrian Cohen, and this is all about the back of the net. I'll look at football over the last 12 months. Well, we looked at men's football, so we're now going to look at women's football. Uh, Craig, the national team, what sort of season have they had? Well, the national team, it's been an interesting one for them. From September 2021, they had Netherlands' former manager, Serena Weigman, who took over, and she became the first non-British permanent liner as manager so a nice bit of uh, foreign influence perhaps to the game mm. and then on the 30th of November during qualification for the 2023 World Cup Ellen White became England's all-time record goal scorer during a 20-0 demolition of Latvia in which she scored a hat-trick I would probably have expected her to score more in a 20-0 demolition yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you look at over the eight qualifying games it is all a little bit one-sided isn't it eight wins 68 goals for Zero goals against. Yeah, it very much seems like it's head and shoulders above the rest for England, doesn't it, at the moment? Yeah, and there are only maybe half a dozen nations that have that sort of ability, isn't there? Yeah, without a doubt. But, you know, England is strong. The women's game has come on leaps and bounds in the last few years, and I think this is testament to the financing that's been put in place to, to allow the game to grow exponentially over the last few years. So when they go on to the World Cup next year... It's getting bigger, isn't it? 32 teams? Yeah, 32 teams will play with the co-hosts Australia and New Zealand because they've, of course, qualified automatically. Yeah. Um, it'll be the ninth FIFA Women's World Cup. And uh, there is some already qualified nations, which include China, and they've been qualified in all previous eight World Cup finals, and they were the runners-up in 1999. You've also got the Philippines and Vietnam, who are making their World Cup final debuts. So that's really interesting. So it's sort of like a different balance, isn't it? It's a different uh, world order. Yeah, it is very much so, but it is good to see these kind of teams breaking through and representing and, and getting an opportunity on the biggest stage of all. Interesting that China uh, regularly play in the World Cup for women and never seen them play in the Men's World Cup. Never. No. Never see them. Yeah. 
So there's going to be a Euros as well this summer, isn't there? The, Euro, the women's Euros. There is, yeah. 16-team tournament hosted by England was originally going to take place in the 7th of July to the 1st of August last year. Right. Obviously, the uh, COVID pandemic put those subsequent postponements from the 2020 Summer Olympics. Yeah, and of course the men's Euros got bumped up as well, didn't it? Did indeed, yep. So the tournament was rescheduled, so it's now the 6th to the 31st of July this year. And England hosting, um, who's the defending champions then? For that? We've got Netherlands who are the defending champions, and you've got Northern Ireland who are participating in the Euro competition for the first time oh, as well. Good. That's very, very good. And um, Russia, I presume, have been banned as well, have they? They have indeed, yep. Disqualified Russia from the women's uh, 2022 Euros. And just for everyone to get started, because it's going to be soon, England are drawn with who? Who's, there, who's in their group? So they're drawn with Austria, Norway and Northern Ireland during Group A with England. Excellent. And uh, quite a lot of women's football has gone on because, of course, um, in the Tokyo Olympics of 2020, held in 2021, there was representation, wasn't there, for, of, of a Great Britain team? There was, yeah. Yeah, they reached the quarterfinal stage, actually, and uh, lost to Australia. Right. But uh, 19 English, <laughs> one Welsh and two Scottish players made up the Okay, so it's pretty much an England team then. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Now, domestically, we've talked about this before. It's rather following the men's model, isn't it, of rich clubs taking and winning everything. What's happened in what happened in the Super League, the Premier? Well, in the Super League, um, the champions were Chelsea. Birmingham City were relegated, so it doesn't really seem too different to uh, the Premier League of a few (laughs) a few years back. It does seem like, as you said, that they're mimicking the men's leagues. Really, the the money equals the success. It seems yeah. in the top flight. And if I wanted to watch a local team, uh, which would be the m- most local team for me in the Women's Super League? Well, you've got West Ham United, who finished sixth last year, and they actually play at Dagenham and Redbridge's ground. Oh, so right. not, not too, too far f- at all. Not too far. Okay. Um, we got an email from Johnny Johnson in Jaywick. And uh, Johnny says, My dad was a football manager for Jaywick Albion during the 1980s when they played in the Abbey National East of England League Division 2. He said the manager's job was the hardest job in football. Surely the changes in managers last season just confirms what a precarious position football managers occupy. Well, what does he mean by the changes in managers last season then? Well, I mean, you've only got to look at the short-term thinking of Burnley sacking Sean Dyche and you'd think with someone of his ability, certainly in regards to managing Burnley, you can't think of many managers more suited to bring them straight back up can you with the success he's had with them on such a shoestring budget that's right so out of 92 clubs in the English Football League 69 managerial changes it's crazy isn't it of yeah. course, you had Norwich sacking their manager. Daniel Farker in November 2021. Ipswich sacked Paul Colchester, of course. Got rid of Hayden Mullins. The list does go on and on. Yeah, yeah. Just interestingly, Southend United sacked an ex colu connecting player, uh, Phil Brown. And they appointed Stan Collymore as senior football strategist. What a title. You know, I have no idea what his day-to-day job would entail <laughs> as a senior football strategist, but he seems pretty happy with it, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, good for Stan. <laughs> well done, Stan. And this is Jackie Wilson. The closer you get, the better you look, baby. The better you look, the more I want you. When you turn on your smile, I feel my heart go
Here's another Lord David Price scheme that will interest Cone Radio listeners. As a keen voyeur of women's football in North East Essex, and under the banner of his all-new non-radioactive Old Millhouse Salmon brand, Lord David plans to audition women at a swimwear fashion show to be held at the Stanway Tandoori Palace in July before taking his top five to the Cayman Islands for what will be called indoor training. As an implacable enemy of sexism, Lord David will also bring along to the same luxury island complex five men from advertising companies who will pitch to Lord David during the daytime erotically charged marketing plans to sexualize the planned old Millhouse women's five-a-side league. Uh, the greater your love, the stronger you hold me, baby. The stronger you hold, the more I need you. You're listening to Box, uh, what is it? 39. Box 39. Well, yes, Box 39, magazine of music and community and all that stuff. Coming live from Studio One here at Colm Radio Tales and we're on 106.6 FM or maybe you're listening to us somewhere on the internet or even on our podcast platform. So this is Back of the Net and we're looking at football over the last 12 months on uh, down there in the Musicology studio, you just heard Adrian Cohen, and I'm here with Craig Barker. Now, Craig, interesting, uh, a little bit of a connection between football and politics over the last 12 months. There has been, yeah. Uh, young Marcus Rashford making a, a, a very good point that child food poverty is uh, at, at a ridiculous level, and uh, he's managed to get involved to ensure that free school meals were extended to over the holidays and he's really had a hashtag of end child food poverty which was signed by over 1.1 million people and he's really kind of pushed the boundaries as to how people can get involved and make a difference when when they're in the sort of limelight and in a position that he's in and, and the position he is in he is and, and people are not sure uh, he is an england player isn't he and he yes. plays for manchester united that's right yeah uh, left wing slash striker for manchester united and a senior england international so he he is a very powerful person with um you know well known amongst virtually everyone in the country i would imagine so did it work it did indeed. Yeah. So the government, he said that the government should look to come up with a sustainable long term roadmap to help end child hunger uh, in this country. So it did make a difference. And the government announced in November 2020 that they were going to fund a p- funding package to help alleviate child food poverty. Oh, that's very good. But it is rather disappointing that it needs a footballer to 
more or less, how did they persuade the government? It was just uh, sheer... It was just, yeah, I think it was just sheer parliamentary petition and yeah. the hashtag in child food poverty. So, you know, 1.1 million people signing it. I, yeah. I don't think that's hard for the government to ignore. Yeah. Well, let's hope that child poverty ends. But um, more importantly, I suppose it maybe encourages other people that, that, that you you know, the, the, the democratic process uh, can work. If But you do need to find someone like Marcus Rashford to do it. Now, should footballers interfere in politics? Well, if you're Tory MP Natalie Elphick, then no. Uh, she said that Rashford should just play football and stop playing politics. <laughs> Rashford, of course, came back with a very succinct answer to that, which was, these issues are about humanity, not politics. Yeah, quite right, quite right. And I think a very admirable. He, I believe he won some sort of a gong for this from the Queen. Which, An MBE, in fact. Yeah, yeah. which is great, but... Um, you know, are we going to have to rely on footballers to get our governments to do things that they should be doing themselves? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Interesting, though, also, as sort of um, away from party politics, there's been some sort of politics as well regarding um, uh, footballers coming out. We've had a footballer for the first time, a professional footballer for, for many, many years. We have, yeah, Jake Daniels, young Blackpool footballer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th I think personally it's fantastic that he, he's felt the, the bravery to come out in, in, and be the first person, the first openly active gay professional footballer in Britain. Yeah. Does that mean there are no gay footballers in the Premier League? I mean, I think there probably is, just by the sheer number of players at clubs. What is there, 26, 28 players in a squad plus staff? Yeah. I think there, there should be, just purely from a numbers standpoint, but I'd imagine they're probably scared to make themselves known. Yeah. But if you look at other sports, you know, Gareth Thomas, in mm -hmm. the extremely physical, masculine world of rugby, quite openly gay, and no, no one blinks an eye about mm. it. I think uh, there's a toxic masculinity in football, the yeah. tribal image, which, yeah. uh, you know, if you go to certain grounds and you hear the, the chants on the terraces, um, they can be quite, quite grim at times. Yeah. And uh, I think a, a combination of maybe fear, image, stigma, perhaps all three, yeah. would probably, probably play a part in, in keeping people... Um, from from sharing that sort of information with the general public. Lots of openly gay women footballers. There is, yeah. You've got Nicola Adams, of course, as well. But um, it just doesn't seem like British male or, or uh, male football is really ready. And I think Jake Daniels coming out, he could be a real um, landmark. And hopefully there's, there's, it opens the door for many more who, who feel comfortable sharing their sexuality. Yeah, let's hope so. Very brave man. Very, very brave. So. He's very young as well, isn't he? He is, yeah. I can't remember his age. but I think, I think he's, he's 17. Yeah, I think he's late teens, isn't he? Early yeah. 20s, but late teens more likely, yeah. Absolutely. Now, um, uh, while we were playing the last bit of music, Henry came over to me and he said he was very disappointed when I said I'd, he, that I had had enough of the last piece of music <laughs> and he got quite cross with me and he said uh, that actually he is contracted to play a certain amount of uh, this and he'll take the money whether I play him or not. So I said, well, come on then, what's your next bit? And he said he loves this and we'll love this as well. And uh, you should recognise this song. Come on then, Henry, after three. One, two... Three.
Football is indeed coming home, and it is coming home to Crockleford Heath, near Colchester, which was where association football was invented, according to new research commissioned by Lord David Price, who has financial interests in the Essex village. Academics at the newly founded online-only Price University, with its brass plate in Ardley, have discovered that the first ever football match played was in Crockleford Heath and Lord David will be making a bid for the village which, according to his ambitious plans, will be a city by then, to host the 2034 World Cup. Ausgang Exit will be the official band and it will be touring the pubs and village halls of North East Essex for the next 12 years in an effort to be able to afford tickets for the matches. Thank you. There's a commentary there from Adrian down there in Studio 4, but I didn't recognise that bit of music, did you? Never heard it before, been in my life, no. No. Thank you then, Adrian. Thank you, Henry. Now, there uh, been a few scandals in football. There's scandals everywhere in the world. Um, one of the biggest scandals, I think, was what happened at the end of the Euros last summer when there was just awful, shameful racism against the English players. Talk us through what happened. Yeah, this was disgraceful. So, of course, we, we all remember the uh, infamous penalty shootout against Italy. So this was, of course, England's first major competition final since 1966 but we were beaten in a penalty shootout yeah. uh, Marcus Rashford Jaden Sancho and Bakayo Saka all black players were the ones who missed their penalties and they all faced absolutely disgraceful abuse yeah. um, on social media directed at them and their families yeah and racism in football is something that is possibly one of the worst aspects of football isn't it it is yeah and I don't know whether it's people feel that because they're behind a social media avatar they can get away with it but um, you know it really does show the ugly side of the game in these uh, these instances yeah. and uh, now this slight scandal really um coca-cola and Cristan, cristiano ronaldo what, what happened there yeah this was sli- a slightly lighter bit of controversy really so in a press conference during the euros uh, cristiano ronaldo intentionally dragged a bottle of coca-cola away from the camera and advised people to drink aqua as he said water instead and uh, it wiped a significant sum off of coca-cola's shares <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure they could afford it. I'm sure they could, but it was uh, entertaining nonetheless. <laughs> Have you ever seen the statue of Cristiano Ronaldo? It's an interesting looking thing, isn't it? His neck looks slightly too long for his uh, his head. It's it's yes, it's not realism in terms in statue terms, is it? It's an interpretive piece. That's a very good way of putting it. I imagine the sculptor <laughs> would probably be quite grateful for that comment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we got a text from Pauline Bush from Stanway. She says, I'm retiring this summer, age 67, after 38 years as chief security doorman at the Blue Monkey Strip Club in Clacton. Uh, but in football, players get to retire much earlier, says Pauline. And they're often able to run bars in Marbella, in southern Spain, or in Boxted in North Essex. From all those who've retired from football in the last 12 months, who do you think is the most deserving? Wow, who's retired then in the last 12 months? Oh, well, I mean, we've got the general, George. 
George Ellacobi, 37 yeah. years old now. Oh. Colchester United, Chester City, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Nottingham Forest, Bristol City, Oldham Athletic. His career list goes on and yeah. he's calling it a day at the ripe old age of 37. He was a great player, wasn't he? Very good. And Very he, good. he was only at Colchester in his second spell, wasn't it? That's right. For yep. a season, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he certainly managed to bring some unity. Banging the drum in the South Stand was one of my favourite <laughs> yeah, memories of him. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else retired from Colchester? Yeah, Renault Gilmartin. You may remember him. He had a fleeting appearance as a 34-year-old goalkeeper. Statuesque guy. Yeah. Had a very brief, as in hours or maybe days, um, assistant to John McGreal at Swindon for their very, very short-lived managerial appointment yeah. that lasted all of about a day and a half. <laughs> And Scott Vernon, he used to play for Colchester. Scott Vernon, yeah, another world-travelled striker. Blackpool, Oldham Athletic, Shrewsbury, Grimsby. He's calling it a day at the age of 38. Well, that's not mad to get to 38, is it? He's done all right. Um, it's no Jamie Curriton, but he's done well. <laughs> yeah, Jamie Curriton's still playing. <laughs> I think he is. Mid-40s, he's bouncing around somewhere, I doing it for the love of the game. Late 40s, I hey, think. Yeah, doing it for the love of the game, isn't he? But then I saw an ex-Colchester player on the, on the telly the other day. There was a sort of charity game. What was his name? He used to play for Tottenham and Manchester United. And that he, one's bypassed. He me. played for Colchester United uh, um, just for a season or so. Uh, Sheringham, Terry, Terry oh, Sheringham. Of course, yes. And uh, he was playing on this charity game, and he must be early fifties. He's got to be. I think once you're at that level, though, I think you can do it. You can read the game. You can see things others can't see. I think you might legs might not be what they were, but I think just purely on your knowledge and reading of the game, you, yeah. can, you can get away with it. And of course, Mark Noble. Um, we mentioned him before the West Ham United midfielder. He was also playing in that charity match. Eighteen years with the club. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? for anyone to play 18 years for a club these days it is you don't see that anymore apart from a couple of short loan spells at Hull and Ipswich in 2006 he got the nickname Mr West Ham for his uh, one club affiliation with West Ham yeah and 472 Premier League games that's impressive isn't it yeah, Very when you impressive. think you're probably playing 47 a season, maybe that's 10 seasons of playing every game. That's, that's right. You don't get to that level if you're a subpar player, do you? No. And a really interesting fact about him and penalties. Do you know that fact? I don't. Well, the fact that he is rated as the player with the second highest conversion rate for penalty kicks in the world. Who on earth does that? That's fantastic. I and I mean, he, he was a regular penalty taker, so this isn't a kind of warp stat where he's taken four in his life. You know, no, this is... 90.5% conversion that's rate. That's very impressive, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The, uh, Although I saw a terrible miss by him. I actually went to see West Ham play Manchester United. I remember the game. And uh, he was brought on just as a substitute yep. to take a penalty. And, and that would have got them a point, I believe, wouldn't it, it as well? It would have got them a point, which would have mm-hmm. been very useful. It would have been. And uh, it was the worst penalty you'll ever see. And I think Solskjaer managed to hang on for another game as man. You manager as a result of that miss as well. He did, yes, Mm. yes. (laughs) So, okay, let's go back to Adrian once more in the Musicology studio.
Black pudding is a sausage filled with blood that is cooked or dried and mixed with a filler until it is thick enough to congeal. And it was this divisive foodstuff that caused Lord David Price to suffer a rare business failure in 2021. Popular in South Korea, black pudding is rarely seen in Japan. Lord David seized upon this thinking it was a gap in the market for trendy food. He launched so-called Samurai Vegetarian Black Pudding under the slogan Blood isn't actually meat and tried to sponsor a J-League soccer team. Lord David didn't realize there is cultural revulsion against not only blood sausage in Japan, but also the notion of manly samurai warriors being emasculated by vegetarianism. The venture collapsed. It's about football and it's real. It's real football radio. Yes, indeed, this is all about football on your radio. It's me, Bill Lawrence, and I'm here with Craig Barker and uh, Adrian in uh, the other studio. And now we're doing Back of the Net. This is our look at football. And one of uh, the more remarkable things that happened this season was that Chelsea Football Club, one of the biggest uh, clubs in the world, was sold um, rather surprisingly and unexpectedly as well. What happened there? Yeah, well... Roman Abramovich was considered uh, one of these Russian oligarchs that was going to be sanctioned due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and that seemed to have sped up the process. Uh, so it looks to be uh, Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital struck a deal back in May, and they acquired the Premier League club at Chelsea for £4.25 billion. Pounds. Wow. That's a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute steal. That's the largest ever deal for a sports franchise in the history of the world. That's crazy, isn't it? And yeah. the price actually breaks down to two and a half billion to purchase the shares, yeah. and then one point seven five billion in investments to further benefit the club. So, where do they get this sort of money? Where do they come from? Well, Clear Lake and Bowley, part owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, right? Um, the American baseball team, and they beat out over thirty competing bids for the sale. Right. Well, and so Abramovich, he gets all that, does he? Well, he bought it for around 140 million in 2003, but he's saying he's going to donate the net proceeds to charity, which charity remains to be seen, but a lovely gesture, it seems, on the surface at least. That's not bad, is it? You buy for 140 and you sell for two and a half thousand. That's a pretty good profit. Yeah, isn't it? wow. Now, if we look at richest clubs in the, the world, there are those that are actually richer. What's the richest football club in the world? That would be Real Madrid, valued at $5.1 billion, so just over Ooh. £4 billion. Pounds. And who owns that? That's owned by club members. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, so they're the sixth most valuable sports team in the world behind the Dallas Cowboys, New York Yankees, the New York Knicks, and the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers, who so, are NBA basketball teams. So, yeah, so there's, you've got America, and then you've got the pretty rest much, of the world. That's pretty much how, how it seems <laughs> to work here, yeah. 
Below them, you've got another Spanish club, Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah, four billion, owned by club members also. It's worth pointing out, I think, that Real Madrid will earn more than a hundred million dollars uh, from their run to the Champions League final. So you can see why consistent Champions League success has been a big part of their yeah. uh, overall wealth. Yeah. Uh, Manchester United come in at third, but they're an interesting one because they're owned by the Glazier family, who are again Americans, but they've saddled the club with debt as part of their original takeover. Yeah. So although they may be valued at three point six billion. I'd imagine their balance sheet looks slightly different to that. <laughs> yeah. Liverpool come in fourth. Yeah. So there's a theme here. US sports marketing <laughs> firm, three and uh, a half yeah. billion. I'm getting it. Yeah. <laughs> I am getting it. Um, but uh, now Germany for number five. Yeah. 3.4 billion. That's Bayern Munich. Again, owned by members. Yeah. Germany's very much like that, isn't it? Germany yeah. has a very different approach to ownership of they clubs. do yeah the Bundesliga are quite strict on who can and can't be in charge of football clubs and I think that's why you get Bayern Munich dominating the league and Borussia Dortmund slightly behind but apart from that it's very much a two team league and then we get our second Manchester club we do Manchester City who are of course relatively new to the footballing uh, landscape in as much as being the big clubs it's only been a few years now 78% yeah. owned by the Abu Dhabi United Group and 10% by the American firm Silver Lake and then 12% by a Chinese company ok so America is in there as well Paris Saint-Germain so PSG uh, as most people would think of them a French club see I would have thought they would have been higher at 2.5 billion and they're owned by the Qatari Sports Investment Company but that's I think that's just because they've got people like Messi and Neymar and Kylian Mbappe I would have expected them to be slightly higher up the list yeah they're a bit of a glamour club I mean they They just pay a lot of money for players that's exactly right although they do have one of the best youth systems in the world Paris is a hotbed for footballing talent but they just don't seem to be utilising it so then you've got Chelsea and now finally you get an Italian club Juve Juventus Juventus 1.9 billion and they're owned by the Agnes family who own Fiat they do indeed and then finally we hit North London we do Tottenham Hotspur 1.8 billion owned by the ENIC group who are a British investment company based in the Bahamas <laughs> I wonder why <laughs> <laughs> so all of that we're looking in the top richest football clubs in the world sort of from 4 billion down to just under 2 billion so we're in talking of the, the, the billions how much is Colchester United worth when including assets values of players turnover 29 million pounds approximately so how many Colchesters could you get for one Manchester United oh that's got to be about 124 <laughs> times the value of Colchester so would that mean in a game it would be Manchester United 124 Colchester United 1 <laughs> that, I think that would be putting it nicely <laughs> oh well uh, we've seen that uh, big financial uh, sort of happening shock I suppose but there's been some more um, sort of ownership fiascos or, or not ownership but to do with the Super League changing the the way football is run what happened there well big clubs wanted a closed group of elite clubs to break away literally form a super league huge backlash from fans the plans were scrapped for now at least whether or not that's changed anything I mean I think there's already a them and us system in place in the Premier League you can almost predict the top six most seasons I think can't you yeah but, uh, I mean, the Super League may have disappeared. You, you get the feeling that it will come back on the agenda at some point because there's got to be some sort of reform of UEFA, isn't there? I think so. Yeah, I think there has to be. I mean, just for some perspective, 400 million people worldwide tune into the Champions League final every year, which is four times as many as the Super Bowl, and that's considered a, a global event for the National Football League. So, you know... It, football is a global sport and it's watched by millions so I can see the financial allure of a Super League for those big clubs okay let's watch this space and uh, let's now listen to The Devil Went Down to Georgia 
down to Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're going to regret because I'm the best as ever been. Johnny, rising up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Cause hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle made of gold. But if you lose, the devil gets your soul. The man behind the supposedly failed attempt to set up a European Super League in 2021 was, of course, Lord David Price, who made countless millions of euros from what many people mistakenly took to be a business fiasco. Pundits from both the soccer world and the international investment world failed to twig that the Super League, as a venture, was only ever meant to be a scandalous attempt to set one up, and not an actual attempt to set up a new league at all. Lord David made a fortune from advertising revenue as hundreds of millions of people spent 72 hours tuning into the wall-to-wall -wall breathless outrage on TV and the internet in October 2021. When the devil finished, Johnny said, Well, you're pretty good, old son, but sit down in that chair right there and let me show you how it's done. Fire on the mountain, run, boys, run. The devil's in the house of the rising sun. Chicken in the bread pan, picking out dough. Granny, does your dog bite, no child knows. Are you one of the almost 7 billion people who listen to Red Button on Thursdays at 9pm here on Cone Radio? Because if you aren't, you should be. The 9pm slot has long been famous for its later evening conversations and in-depth interviews conducted by a jaded local radio hack called Bill. Nowadays, however, with the Thursday 9pm slot you don't know what you might get. It might be musical chat, biographies, or analysis of local issues. Red Button, Thursdays at 9 p.m. after Box 39. Frozen out from the officially sanctioned legitimate corruption surrounding the Qatar World Cup, Lord David Price lashed out at the tournament in a press release last week. With a ridiculous 48 teams involved, he said, the Qatar World Cup is the first millennial-style tournament, diluted by minnows, snowflakes and no-hopers. 
Everyone gets a rosette. It's not about winning. Nobody gets called a failure. Everybody competes. Everybody's a winner. 48 teams in the tournament. It probably should be 16 or 24. We've lost our way, he said in the statement. Lord David has said he plans to spend the 2022 World Cup in Malaysia, or, at the very least, on the phone to his Malaysian friends and bookies in Mumbai. Well, we're nearly at the end of our show, but we've got time to look ahead to the World Cup coming up, most uh, unusually mid-season in the winter in Qatar. What's happening there? Well, it's actually going to be played in a reduced time frame as well of around 28 days, which works out around four group games a day. That's going to be quite exciting, isn't it? Well, you'd think so. Plenty of footy on the telly around Christmas. Yeah, and uh, the reigning world champions are France, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, Qatar, I've never seen them play in a football match ever. Nope, never. There was actually five bids for the 2022 World Cup. Australia, Japan, Qatar, of course, South Korea, and the United States. And the United States actually came second in the bidding process. Yeah, well, I think there's a whole other the story isn't it but I think the bidding process has been proved to be somewhat unorthodox it has indeed yeah, yeah. England have got a group uh, with Iran USA and Wales that's right Yep, so I don't think they're going to be as simple as some people suggest. I no. think um, England do struggle to break defensive teams down, so I don't think it'll be a walk in the park. Oh, well, good luck to them, and good luck to Wales as well. We've got a few listeners' letters. We've got time for one or two. Um, we've got a text from uh, uh, Mango Dread of Shrubben, says, I'm an Ipswich Town fan. Remember last season for the death of poor old Paul Mariner, a great player who managed Plymouth Argyle, where Mango had his first job as a bus driver driving the number one B. So um, we lost also another great player, of course, that was uh, Jimmy. Jimmy Greaves, yeah. yeah, NBA World Cup winner, Chelsea, Tottenham, West Ham striker, real legend of the game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we got a, a quick uh, one from Dave from Stanway. He says he's been working his bag at Burger Van. That's Dave's Burger Van in Stanway. And he says he's looking to place some strategic wages via his cousin Vinny, who lives in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Who do you think will be the winners in the next 12 months? Well, I mean, we could be talking about, do you want to put money on Manchester United finishing in the top four with the new manager? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Harry Kane to finish at the top goal scorer? Uh, Fulham staying up what do you, th- you fancy yeah well I'm going to have a definite wage that England won't win the World Cup That's probably unfortunately a fair bet I would imagine yeah and Colchester United might change their manager at some point <laughs> <laughs> only via an internal hire <laughs> ok well the one thing we can be sure of is that Dave's Burger Van at the entrance to Stanway Golf Course where the food is always warm juicy quite cheap and always adequate so, uh, football. Football, you know, really is a beautiful game and anyone can play it almost anywhere. Young and old, good and not so good. Even those with just one leg. You can play on grass, you can play on a street, on sand, on a basketball or a tennis court. You can play in the snow, you can play in the rain, you can play in 40 degrees in guitar, you can play when it's windy, you can play indoors, you can play outdoors. If anything can bring people together from any race, speaking any language, holding any beliefs, it's football. Whether you call it football, soccer, or football, it's all the beautiful game. And finally, one quick last text from Donna from Norwich. 
and Donna has just texted in to say, I've been listening to Box 39 with my neighbour Rory. And she Donna says, last season she went round to Rory's house to watch the Norwich versus United game on TV with several of his friends. And Donna says, they're all Norwich fans, though I much prefer United. And I think this may have caused some sort of misunderstanding. I could feel the usually friendly lads weren't very welcoming. I think I'd been rubbing them up the wrong way. So I had to give them a good mouthful and that soon put them straight. Well, well done, Donna. Good old Donna. Well done. So this has been Box 39, the magazine of music, community, humour and chat. We've been coming live from Studio One at Colm Radio Towers. And my thanks to my co-presenter this evening, Craig Barker. So, from high up here in Studio One, on the fourth floor of Colne Radio Towers, looking out over the full and fertile lands of North East Essex, it's time for us to close Box 39 once more. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Got this in pocket. Got battle. I am gonna use it. Intention. Motion, restrained emotion. I've been diving, detailing, and no reason. Just seems so pleasing. Come make you, make you, make you notice. Gonna use my arms, gonna use my legs, gonna use my style, gonna use my sidestep. Okay, it's time to have a look in the Musicology's mailbag. Let's see, here's the first one. It's from Richard Flesh in Maputo, Mozambique. He says, Dear Aid, love the Musicologies, but everyone knows in advance, in Mozambique anyway, that you are going to say brilliant things. Try to mix it up a bit. Relentlessly very good is boring. Thanks, Richard. Here's a second one from Vash in Bhutan. She says, I've seen your profile on the Cupid's Arrow app, and I've always wanted to date one of Europe's top radio presenters, etc., <clears throat> etc. Et Thank you, Bash. There's a cone radio sticker and felt pen on its way to you. That's all for this week. Box 39 is a guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. <laughs>